grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. Hi, it's Joe here. Today I'll be speaking with Gary Clapton, who is a father who lost a daughter to adoption in 1970. He is also a social worker who conducts research in adoption at the University of Edinburgh and is a committee member of the Fathers Network Scotland and an advisor to Birthlink. Today Gary will be sharing some of his personal story with us and next episode he'll be talking to Jane about his adoption research with a particular focus on fathers who lost children to adoption. Welcome to Adopt Perspective, Gary. Thanks for the invitation, Joe. I'm very pleased to be here. Your daughter was born on Christmas Day in 1969 when you were just 19 years old. She was subsequently placed for adoption in 1970. Can you tell us about that time and what led up to your daughter being placed for adoption? Okay, um, it's um, it's it's a big story, so I'll try to give you the um, the, the, the 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 kind of more the more useful bits for your listeners. Um, we were teenagers, my, um, my partner then, my girlfriend Maggie um, and I were teenagers and um, like a lot of teenagers in the 60s and 70s, um, we had unprotected sex and the consequences were Maggie got pregnant. Um, we didn't want um, 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 uh, to think about um, anything, any other methods of you know, ending the pregnancy. So we, we carried on. Um, we were planning on going around the world and traveling. Uh, we'd hoped for years of traveling in front of us, being the teenagers we were. And um, this came along and um, uh, we were thrown into disarray. Our plans were thrown into disarray. Uh, we were you know, met with a, a major, a major life crisis. And um, so what we decided to do is not tell anyone. So in this sense, uh, we didn't come under any pressure from parents and, 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 and peers. We didn't tell anyone. And we decided that we would um, uh, you know, carry on some of our trip around the world. We went to um, Spain and France uh, for a while. And then we returned to London. We were 400 miles away from our homes. So uh, we were able to conceal the, the pregnancy. Um, to a certain extent, anyway, one or two close friends did know my brother knew, for example, and um, so we managed that. And um, uh, lo and behold, um, our, our, our baby girl—we named her Louisa at the time—arrived um, on Christmas Day on in 1969, and that um, was a, a, a huge experience. And this story I'm telling uh, to you today um, is really mine, so I cannot speak for it. So if ever I'm, I fall into the trap of seeming to speak for both of us, I'm not, I'm speaking for myself. I'm sure that um, my, my partner then, my girlfriend then, Maggie, would have um, her own take on this. 
anyway, Christmas Day, and um, I um, I asked to be involved in uh, there at the birth, and I was at the birth, and I remember um, Louisa uh, arriving in the world, and um, we um, um, were, were very pleased at the time, you know, wouldn't everybody be, you know, with the birth of a child, and um, then, um, uh, see the baby um, had um, a, a little stomach upset, so she had to be kept in hospital for a while, and um, eventually um, Maggie got out, and um, the baby went one way to foster parents, and Maggie came back to me uh, in our digs in London. And the, the run-up to that was that we'd spoken to um, uh, adoption workers in, in Scotland and hadn't uh, found uh, much help from them, and then we began the process of thinking about adoption in um, the run up to the birth throughout sort of October, November. It was a fraught time, I have to confess. And I think that uh, if I'm looking back, and I'm not proud of this, I think I was probably more forthright in, um, in wanting the adoption um, of our girl. And my partner Maggie then, um, I think was probably 40, 60 uh, for it. So anyway, we contracted with an adoption agency, contracted is the wrong word, we'd been to an adoption agency, had our details taken, and um, that was a famous one in Westminster. And the, um, um, so the process was already in place as a foster parent had been fixed up. Um, I'm not sure what happened in hospital. I visited a couple of times, but certainly um, Maggie came home alone and the baby went to foster parents then. So throughout January and February um, of 1970, we had, um, you know, the decision to make whether we were going to finalise adoption, and that is sign the court papers. So during that time, it was, as I said before, a quite a fraught one. There was quite a lot of tears and a lot of arguing. Um, and um, then um, we um, uh, we visited a couple of times uh, to the foster parents, and that's something I remember very, very vividly. I remember looking down um, and and seeing uh, Louisa in her cot, and. Um, Frankly, Joe, I, I'm not sure what I thought then, um, and I, I really am. I think some of my feelings were kind of like on hold. So there was a kind of certain sort of sense of being an out of body thing. Uh, there was me doing the going through the motions there, and another part of me, um, which I, I, I had no access to, and it's only much, much later in my life was I able to think about these things. So. Anyway, the me then was looking down at the cot uh, and thinking, well, this is uh, adoption's on its way. Um, so I'll, I'll sort of pause there for a second to catch my breath, if you don't mind. And it was a bit of a roller coaster, I can assure you of that. And I hope I've covered some, just some, of um, those, those, those very early days. It was, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a, a disturbing time, I would say. Yeah, I can imagine it was. What was your um, experience like with the hospital and, and social workers and, and even parents during this time? Did you feel any pressure or support from any of them? regarding the adoption and, and did you feel included or excluded from the conversations? Yeah, that, that's very interesting because I say, I don't know if my experience is kind of like matches the, the men I've spoken to subsequently and, and, and I've read about because first of all, um, I was kind of, um, uh, the two of us were involved in giving all our details to the adoption agency. So the invite was to both of us. Um, you have to remember, this was a kind of like the late 60s. So there was a kind of air of, um, you know, um, 
I wouldn't call it liberation, but there's an air of sort of like, um, you know, progression and a liberalism in the air. So, you know, for example, I got to sit in on the birth, you know, I was, I was there and I didn't feel excluded at all. Um, I gave all my details, my height and all the rest of my, that colour of my eyes and so on to the adoption agency. And um, like I said before, Joe, the, um, the, the, the plan, our plan, our kind of ruse was that... Um, and parents wouldn't know. So in that way, we didn't have any pressure from the state or, or, or parents. What I would say is that I don't think anybody um, sat us down and said, are you doing the right thing? I don't think anybody actually sat us down and, and said, look, you could do this differently. And subsequently, some 25 years later, um, my daughter asked this very question, what could, you could have done this differently. We'll maybe come to that later. Certainly at the time, it didn't feel to me that um, um, there was any other option. This was a kind of kind of conveyor belt. It, you know, it was, it was heading towards adoption. Um, and the, uh, we had a visit from a social worker after Maggie had given birth. And um, um, I just remember her being young. Um, and even I was young then. So, I mean, she must have been kind of, um, um, I don't know, some um, maybe in her 20s for that matter. She felt, she felt young. And... Um, it was a cursory visit. Um, so I think this visit probably came somewhere between the um, six weeks um, in the six weeks period after the birth and before the final signing of the papers. So um, I went to visit and it just felt like a kind of checking in. Is everything okay with you guys? It's still on course, la la la. So I think that um, um, again, um, I think we would have been a hard, pretty hard nut to crack at that point though, about being persuaded. I think it could have happened. It could have happened that we'd been persuaded to do otherwise, but we were 19, we had, we had serious plans with things kind of like in, in our vision. Uh, it wasn't just a kind of a fancy um, for a wee trip abroad. This was like, four, we planned on being years away. We planned on visiting Australia uh, and, and going around the world. So this was all uh, there and it went up in the air and um, it remained in flux. And I think that um, um, eventually we came down on the side of um, the, the papers being signed, not without major tears and um, and and struggles. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's um, the situation there was very different to how um, adoption takes place here in Australia at that time. Um, There's lots of differences with like you know you having contact with your daughter in, before she was placed for adoption and that kind of thing. But um, so many of it is also the same. Could you tell us some um, about your daughter's birth and the days immediately afterwards? So you've sort of touched on that a little bit. Um, we, you still had lots of contact, obviously, with your partner. Did you feel um, that you were apprised of any of your rights at the time? Okay. Um, we were living in a kind of like an awful bed set, a shared bed set in, in um, the south of London. And it's the kind of bed set that you had to put pennies in a metre in order to get the gas working, in order to heat your bath. So it was, um, it was a little bit kind of like uh, 19th century. Um, so we kind of, and, and, and um, Maggie uh, had a job as a, 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 as a, a temp, as temporary secretary. And you got a lot of work then. And um, I, um, well, I was working in a garage, so we um we kind of we, we we had a kind of a day jobs, but also there was the evenings when we were kind of you know we, we were thinking about um you know what we would be doing, and um as I said earlier, 
Um, we kind of like it, it went backwards and forwards. You know, to be frank, if I if I had been one hundred and ten percent for uh, us um, keeping um, Louisa, then I think that Maggie, then my partner, would be would have been uh, up for it. Um, but both of us, in my view, right, and certainly me, um, I, 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 being a sort of like teenager, I thought I, I just couldn't parent. I didn't have a kind of a parent hat on. Um, I guess nobody helped me put that hat on. So to answer your question, I was never uh, um, 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 kind of encouraged to think anything other than, you know, okay, you're a, you're a teenager, you've done something that you shouldn't have done, um, um, you know, carry on with your dream right so nobody sort of said look you could be a parent here and you could be a lovely parent um i didn't have parent on my radar i'm, I'm afraid joe and uh, as i said um um uh, to many people um i'm not proud of um what happened um uh, this is all in retrospect i have lots of um, regrets i wouldn't advise anybody to do what we did then um but that's what happened and um the 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 kind of that my my explanation, if it seems a bit thin, is the best I've got at the moment. Did you guys tell anyone um, about the adoption after it happened, friends or or family? Eventually, yeah, we were um, um, we were um, um, with a couple um, who um, who also got pregnant. Um, uh, they kept their baby, uh, so this was also a major sort of kind of um, a contrast in that period. Um, and they knew um, that uh, Maggie was pregnant. My brother knew that Maggie was pregnant, that we were pregnant. And um, I think that's about it. It was a really tight circle, about six or seven of us um, that, that knew. And as I said, parents didn't know. I think that, um, you know, being so, so, so um, out of touch with parents, and remember we were living in, in London, we were kind of, you know, for a while, insisted we were abroad um, but um, eventually I think when we got back in touch with parents uh, Maggie's mum I think guessed but nothing was said and my mum um, um, was and dad were, were um, uh, going through some difficulties then so I think that um, there was other things on their mind. My mum eventually got to know a long long time later actually 25 years later when um, I sat down and said um, um, Louisa, that is, and, and Jane now, her name is, uh, Jane had got in touch with me. I felt that she needed to know. But for 25 years or so, I don't think that um, my my parents knew a thing about it. Uh, I can't, as I said before, speak for um, uh, Maggie's mum and dad. Yeah. How did um, your experience impact your decision to have more children? Yeah, I think that's a really, you know, interesting question. Um, you know, it took me 20 years, um, basically, you know, that's a long and short of it, Joe. It took me 20 years to um, to uh, to contemplate the notion of being a father again. Um, I put it off, I put it off and put it off. Um, I, my, Maggie and I split up uh, some um, uh, seven years after um, the, the birth of our child. Um, and part of that split was to do with, you know, were we going to be having another baby? Um, and um, I have to say that we we had talked about. I mean, we both kind of had our own little um, secret places, um, and, and mine's a lot more secret. I didn't even know about it, frankly. Um, and that kept that topic uh, of the birth and the adoption um, silent. We didn't talk about it, but we did talk about uh, having another child. And and I I couldn't contemplate it. 
And so um, with another uh, relationship after that, it took a long time, as I say, until I was about 40, um, that I actually, you know, that's like 20 years or so. And I, before um, I actually became a father for the second time, um, I had a kind of major crack up in a way. I, and I think it was partly to do with the kind of the onset of, of, of uh, fatherhood for the second time. Memories began to come back and not just memories, memories are memories, but actually feelings about what it was like to be a father. Um, could I be a father? Was I fit to be a father? Was I um, entitled? Um, you know, to do this again, you know, who would give me the right to sort of like have another go at this? Um, might have been some of the, were some of the things that were uh, going through my head at the time. It did cause me some, some grief, a lot of grief, and a lot of, um, you know, regret came back, a lot of pain. Yeah, I, um, I think in my own experience of adoption, um, one of the places that I feel the impacts of adoption most is in how I've parented my children. Um, do you feel that your adoption experience is impacted how you parented the other children in your life? I don't know. It's a really good question. Um, um, it's kind of a, um, it's a practical one and a sort of like a kind of um, an emotional one too, because I think, uh, um, as I said, first of all, um, I, I kind of, I, I'd gone through a kind of period of a year or two before the birth of my, my second child, um, my oldest boy, Laurie, and um, I'd gone through all sorts of troubles. I'd, I'd, split up temporarily with my partner then uh, I'd moved into bed sits again um, I was in a bit of a state um, but when I came to having a second child um, um, I, I, I was really over the moon about it very very pleased in at the birth again as I was for my uh, for Jamie my second boy and um, I've just I've just loved being a father I've loved being a father it felt to me that actually at that point it took so bloody long right for well, I was 40 um, but um, to be a father again felt like a gift. And um, I felt so privileged. Both those boys that I've raised and brought up have brought so much um, joy to my life. And um, my heart has expanded enormously. Um, so I think um, being a father to them has been a great experience. I haven't particularly felt I've been kind of a cotton wool parent in that I was protecting them. There were boys that felt slightly different from sort of maybe, maybe raising a girl. Um, but anyway, raising two boys felt, and if you're a, a dad, it seems kind of like almost comes naturally. It shouldn't, it doesn't sometimes, of course, but um, felt good for me. What was kind of pivotal was um, the point when they were three and five, or sorry, um, maybe two and four, actually, when they, um, um, when my daughter got in touch with me, but we'll maybe come to that. But uh, that arrived and uh, at an interesting time. But certainly being, being a father, I just felt I feel really privileged. Every day I wake up, I, I still feel like a father, although they're grown now. And um, uh, I still feel like, a, you know, I'm their dad. And they obviously regard me as a dad, but I still feel very protective towards them. Um, but also very joyful that they, they're in this world too. So I'm, I'm very, very happy um, being a dad. Um, second time around I get you know that when people get asked right I don't have a problem now you know when somebody asks me how many kids have I got um I know that um if somebody had asked me maybe before I had the boys um I might have said nah I think I would have said you know particularly given that troubles I went through just prior to second time around fatherhood I have no problem about saying I've got three kids now. I'm wondering if the impacts of adoption went on to have an influence on the fact that you became a social worker. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good question, Joe. Um, 
the um, the amount of um, uh, people I know. So I put it another way, you can't really have a kind of like evidence, evidence correlation and all that stuff. But it is surprising the number of people who have gone through um, an adoption uh, and given up a child for adoption um, um, who've, who've turned up in social services somewhere. So I don't say, I think you're right. I, look, back in the day when I, at, at 19 and going on to sort of like 29, right, when I became a professional social worker, if you stopped and asked me, I'd be like, what? I, I might have sort of like said, oh, I'm not sure I make that connection. But frankly, hindsight's a great thing, isn't it? I mean, we live our lives forward, but I say, I think we only understand them backwards. Now I understand this. I can say, look, guess what? You know, when my, our daughter, um, daughter that was given up for adoption, I'll call her Jane from now on, because that's how we, I know her. Um, when she was two, I was looking after two um very young children of about two years old, right? When we were in Greece, I was a nanny, a full-time nanny. When I was, um, um, oh, when she was, Jane was about 15, 16, uh, one of our family came to stay with us for a long time. Who She was 14. Um, so there's kind of like points in my life when I've actually cared for, for, for children her age and, and or been, let's put it this way, been drawn to that. So becoming a social worker um, and wanting to do good, yep, I think that, um, and also not just any old social worker. I was a social worker who worked with children and families work in London and in, 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 in Edinburgh. And I also, um, I have to confess, I was a social worker who was involved in, um, I wouldn't call it a range of adoption, but I remember interviewing birth parents um, about their plans, um, particularly a birth mother in London, um, and asking about the birth father, was he around? And no, 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 he wasn't. He was somewhere else in Ireland. So it's a strange and eerie um, of synchronicity that happens if, or has happened in my life that, um, you know, I'd be, um, then I'd be kind of like um, sitting down with people who had plans. And frankly, you know, from about, I don't know, very, very early on in my professional career, there's very, very, very few people that I would have been persuading to sort of sign the adoption papers. Yeah. Um, you know, I soon sort of like wised up to the sort of like the, um, the, the, the pain that that would cause or could cause. Good question. Thank you, Joe. So 1993 rolls around and yep. you were contacted by your daughter. Can you tell us about this? Yeah, well, this is the kind of one of the big milestones in my life to date. Um, stop me in the street and ask me and I'll probably say, mm, OK, fine. Um, yep, I can't think of uh, another one that stands out, right? Um, it's a huge I got the letter, I don't know how you do it in uh, Aussie, um, about how you approach somebody. I got the letter that says, um, we're writing to you on behalf of um, someone who believes they're related to you. So classic sort of, um, anyway, in the UK, um, it, you know, two line beginning of any letter to somebody who may or may not actually sort of answer the call and may or may not be the right person. Anyway, I got the letter um, and it arrived um, in, um, um, I arrived at my work actually, I arrived at my workplace uh, when I was working in North London. And um, I knew right away, Joe, I knew right away um, who this was. So remember what I said um, about two or three years before that, I'd been through a sort of like a lot of turmoil, a lot of soul searching, a lot of things came back to me. And they'd been triggered, I think, by um, the um, suicide of a young girl I was working with, again, who was about 15, 16, probably very close to the age that Jane would have been, not quite, but 
Um, a lot of stuff was triggered then. So there was a lot of soul searching. She went to the um, hospital where she was born, uh, turned into a block of flats by then. I remember going um, and walking near uh, in the area where she'd been adopted to, or I'd been told she'd been adopted to. So I'd been through quite a lot of stuff and turmoil. So consequently, I was ready. Um, I kind of knew, I wasn't searching, it's true. Um, um, my, um, our, 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 Jane's mother uh, had put her name on a contact register and had told me that she'd get in touch if anything had happened and Jane had got in touch with her. But I was kind of ready. So when the letter arrived, and here's the crazy thing, I thought, oh, this is fabulous news, right? It's, it's definitely, at that point it was Lisa, but definitely Jane. Um, it's a social worker who'd written it. But um, I got on the phone right away to um, uh, ex-partner, uh, Jane's mother, and uh, wanted to tell her that, yeah, she was in touch with us. And stupid me. Um, <laughs> I, I, thank God I thought about it for like a couple of minutes afterwards and thought, hmm, I don't know. She's probably already been in touch with her mum. <laughs> and lo and behold, she had been. So anyway, I got the um, I got the call and uh, right away, uh, I kind of got in touch with the social worker that night. I was so excited. I was over the moon. It brings tears to my eyes thinking about this. Um, and I was over the moon about it and made the call, jumped up and down. And, um, uh, there was a kind of series of calls between me and the social worker. Did I want to write a letter? La la la. And you know, I'd get one lit back. The social workers hang around for a you know a couple of letters that do that letterbox thing, and um, uh, and then we got uh, to, to write to each other direct across you know the the Christmas uh, and New Year of um, of nineteen ninety three, I believe. Yeah, I hope I've got the, 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 the I've got the year the year right. Um, sorry, uh, across that Christmas New Year, uh, we were we were corresponding, you know, and um, it was it was no uh, it wasn't forgotten. Actually, this was um, you know this was our birthday as well. I think she was um, um, she got in touch twenty three. Let me do the math. She must have been about twenty four at the time, going on for twenty five, something like that. Um, yeah. So um, that was a fab time, I have to say. It's, it's, uh, uh, it just takes a question or two for me to get right back into the swing of things, as you can hear. So excuse me if I burbled on too much there. No, that was beautiful. I, I do love hearing um, stories of contact like that, particularly when um, I get to hear how happy you were about it and how, you know, yeah. how much it impacted you. And I yeah. guess um, the last time we spoke, you told me that you um, call the relationship with your daughter a union rather than a reunion. So can I ask you what this union has now brought to your life? Magic. Magic, Joe. Um, if you were on television, you would have seen me go, mm, shaking my head and looking down and, um, you know, um, just choking up a bit. But you're not. So um, there you are. That's what happened. Um, I can't say I've got three grandchildren. Um, they're 300 miles away, but I'm hoping to see them next month. I see them, um, uh, well, pre-COVID, we would meet up every three, uh, three or four times a year. Um, I don't know. It's, it's made things work for me because I was troubled, very troubled. And um, so um, not always, I kind of didn't wake up troubled every day, right? But uh, in my, in, in a large a bit of me anyway, um, was, was worried about it and troubled. And so coming quite soon after, you know, becoming a father for the second time, um, this was a kind of a bonus in a way. Here was I able to contemplate three children and uh, one being an adult, of course, she was at university. Um, I've, I've been around for her now. I have a letter. I have a letter um, 
he's showing the letter on the um the podcast uh, i have a letter that i write every month to her um so for 25 years since we've met um I've written uh, every month um, a letter and she writes every three or four letters back to me that I, I get one from her. But those um, those years have been um, fantastic. As, as I say, I've, 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 um, well, I wasn't invited to her wedding and there was a discussion about that. Thought, well, the focus would be on me and all that business and Jane wanted to focus to be on her. Of course, it's her wedding day. I know her, her husband. Uh, I've been through the wedding process with her. I've been through births of four, three children, I wasn't at the birth of course, but very soon afterwards I held um, the, the, my uh, grandchildren in my arms. Um, I've, I've spent um, Christmases with her. Um, we've, um, we've, we, 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 when we meet, we kind of like sit and talk for hours, three or four hours, and we, um, we just babble on. Uh, and, you know, the first time we met was a kind of, uh, you know, a huge sort of meeting for me. I was so anxious. And, um, but, I, you know, she kind of, Put me at my ease right away apart from asking me why did i give give her up right so that a bit of a um, <laughs> um a struggle but when you ask about how i've been since then you know it's 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 it, it, you know normally i can i can talk six to the dozen but i started a little bit uh, about exactly what um what excitement and pleasure have been brought to my life um by 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 her being in touch with me um, and i've been through the you know not like right by our side, but I've been through processes that she's been involved in, such as the um, the death of her adoptive parents, her dad and her mum, you know, subsequently. So I've been through all of these things and it's been, frankly, it's not been an emotional rollercoaster. It's been a total joyride um, for the last 25 years. And you know what? Um, there was a, a kind of a date passed about, about a year ago, a kind of like a huge secret celebration within me, which was that, at that point, I'd known her longer than I hadn't known her. So, because we've been in touch now for some 25 years. So that was a, a kind of a kind of like really significant sort of like, to me anyway, um, just a, a kind of a, a, a border I'd passed, you know, that we'd been in each other's lives longer than we hadn't. And I felt really proud of that. I mean, this is, we talk about a reunion. I didn't carry Jane for nine months. Um, I, I, I didn't... Um, Birth to her. I didn't go through that kind of pregnancy process, and I, I really can't speak um, for her, her mother. But um, so, and and I, I remember her as I say. Well, I remember being born. I remember looking into the the crib at the foster parents. But really, I it, when we met, it felt like I was meeting um, both a stranger and a relative. You know, my daughter. But it didn't feel like a reunion. We hadn't been parted in that sense. I hope that makes sense to your listeners. But for a, for a man, I think that um, there's something different goes on about reunion and, and reunion. And I do feel that the union part of it has been, I kind of, I kind of, frankly, I just feel that I, it continues to grow. Um, and we've just, just, we're just really fine with each other. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Gary, you did mention that, you know, for a time you were quite troubled. Did you um, seek any support as you worked to, to heal through um, your adoption experience? What kinds of support have you sought out, I guess I'm asking? Yeah, no, no. Again, that's I, I, I skipped over that. Yeah, I did have troubles um, on the kind of brink of contemplating fatherhood for a second time. Um, as I said, there was some things happened at work that triggered a lot of memories, a lot of thinking, a lot of soul searching about um, 
been, um, and I didn't know I was a birth father till much later till I read the, the literature, <laughs> but I just felt I'd given up a baby for adoption and that was my part of my, it became part of my identity at that point. So I really did actually have that um, front and center of my mind. And I remember going to see this therapist and she was all right, she was fine. She wanted to talk to me about, you know, my dreams and things like that. And I told her about my dreams and, you know, I went a few times and nothing much happened. And then I um, I sought out this um, counselling agency. I've forgotten the guy's name now. Michael something or other. He's, he's big in adoption. He's written a few things. But anyhow, I sought out this adoption agency, found him in the book. Um, that was back in the day when you had yellow pages and you looked those up. And, and um, anyway, found um, this, what they call post-adoption, I don't know, PAC they were called. And they were in North London. And... And they fixed me up with an appointment. And it was just one appointment um, with this man. And it, just everything clicked. Because previously, people, I'd, I'd been talking to this therapist, uh, thinking about, you know, um, things, memories were coming back. I was starting to think about the adoption, uh, haunting kind of like places where um, we'd lived at the time. So I was troubled. And um, goodness me, the scales fell from my eyes when this guy sat me down. And it was, frankly, it might have been 40 minutes tops. Um, and he said, look, um, you know, and he was coming from, he knew about adoption. He was, he was kind of clued in, right? Whether he had adoption in his life or not, I'm not sure. Anyway, he was working for this adoption agency, post-adoption agency. And he, um, he just said, look, you know, this is in your past and you need to sort of like think about this. You need to integrate this. You need to, um, you know, um, I don't know if he used the word embrace, but I'm thinking the word embraced anyway, when I'm looking back, he said like, you know, you need to be this part of your identity now and own it. I think that's probably the phrase that comes to, or stays with me anyway. And he, he talked in terms that I understood then, you know, about loss. Um, not that I felt loss every day, as I said, I didn't wake up every Christmas, but, you know, I was aware it was there. And But he was able to connect my troubles, my, my kind of troubled soul with this event in my life. Um, and I thought that, you know, things, you know, the machinery just like, in a, you know, the, the, the locks in a safe began to sort of like click into place and doors sprung open. And then at that point, I, I did actually sort of like, you know, I became a birther at that point. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, the identity anyway, sorry. No, that's great. Thank you. And um, I mean, it's really helpful too, because I think often fathers are less represented in seeking help. So I think it's really good to hear from your perspective that that was really helpful and finding someone who knew something about adoption. Yeah, I do think, sorry to interrupt, Joe, um, you've probably got a couple of other questions up your sleeve, but uh, look, um, I, I do think that there's something, and maybe this is a professional in me just uh, starting to sort of go on about, but I did think that actually um, um, speaking to a man, I suppose, when it comes right down to it, but speaking to somebody, I suppose, over and above the kind of male thing, speaking to somebody who knew exactly what I was doing and going through, um, was so refreshing. It was just such a light on uh, in my troubled soul, and um, I, um, I, I I kind of wouldn't recommend it, um, it more highly than I could, um, as um, just getting that right right conversation happens, and so much things fell into place, as I say. Yeah. Gary, look, um, that was my last question. I have so many more, but we're we're starting to run out of time, so I better tie it up. 
Um, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It's um, We work hard to try and get all the perspectives covered on this podcast and, and fathers are one that we um, find harder to find someone to talk. So I really appreciate that you're sharing not only your research with Jane in a few weeks, but also that you're just willing to talk about your personal story because it's really helpful. Thank you for the invitation for coming on and I'm looking forward to talking to Jane again. Thank you, Jo. Thanks, Gary. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. Meanwhile, do you have a story that you'd like to share with us? If you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the prospective guest form that you'll find there. And please note that Adopt Perspective can be listened to by people all over the world. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you are calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Joe Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Mm-hmm.